Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast with our senior pastor, Ben Martinez. Don't forget to check out our website at calvarychapellubbock.church. There you'll find a lot more about our mission to love God, love people, and live radically. Now here's Pastor Ben. Now, as noted two weeks ago, you go, why two weeks ago? If you recall, Pastor Soph had the pulpit last week. So we were in Matthew two weeks ago, and you, you remember there was a total of six trials for Jesus. You see, sometimes you read the Bible and go, it's only one trial. No, it was only, no, there were six trials, three religious and three civil trials. This is going to happen before he goes to the cross. If you recall, on the night he was arrested, he was taken to Annas, and then he was taken to Caiaphas, and then he was put in the dungeon for the night. Now, we're going to talk about that in just a second. The next morning, he was brought out before a group called the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin, more like it's the Jewish council, a lot like our Congress, if you will, today. He was taken out before them, and this is where they're going to finish up the religious trials. Then he was taken to Pilate. Okay, Pilate goes, oh, you're in Herod's jurisdiction, goes back to Herod, and then comes back to Pilate to finish the political trials, if you will. Today, we see this is the final trial at Pilate. That's what we're going to look at today. What you need to understand is Matthew doesn't go into details. We can get that from other Gospels. But Matthew just sort of goes boom. Now, here's what Matthew wants us to do. He wants us to have the remote. Okay, men, you have the remote. You can let your wife have it too, okay? But you have the remote, and we're going to go from Pilate. We'll go over to to Judas, back to Pilate. We're going to be switching channels. Your wife is going to look at you and say, would you leave it in one place? You know what I'm talking about? That's Amen. It was funny the other day, we were watching TV. It has nothing to do with the story, but I found it interesting. We were watching TV, and um, my wife asked me if there's anything else on TV. She asked a question. Is there anything else? I guess I learned to speak wife. Because what was she asking? You can, exactly. Is there anything else? Uh, pro, no, this is all there is. No, there isn't. I'm telling you, change the top. But I learned. I just went, okay. Okay. You go, Ben, what does that have to do with our story? Nothing. That was free. It's all for you. Men, you're going to have to learn to speak wife. That's just how it is. Okay? Because they don't tell you what they want. They'll ask you questions. You have to discern that. Is there a book? There's not a book. Okay, Amanda, that's enough from you over there. I hear you. (laughs) Now, back in our text, remember what we've talked about. Two weeks ago, we saw two trials, okay? Now, there are six total for Jesus, but we actually talk about two. The first one was Jesus, the trial before Caiaphas. And you've got to remember, he was taken before Annas first and then Caiaphas. Look at John 18, 12 to 13. It'll be on the screen. It says, Then the detachment of troops, the captain and the officers of the Jews, arrested Jesus, bound him, and led him away to Annas first. For he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year. Now, really, really simple, okay? They led him to Annas. Annas was the father-in-law of Caiaphas. But Annas couldn't be the high priest, although he was kind of pulling the strings from behind the scenes. You guys understand that. 
Okay? It, let me explain it this way so you get a really good feel. Jesse is my son-in-law. If Jesse was the pastor of this church, but I was still the pastor in the office, I would tell Jesse, you need to do this. You need to do that. Make sure we hold up. Watch out over there. And basically, I'm still running the church, although I'm not technically the pastor. You understand that, okay? I'm glad he's in the service. So that, that's kind of how it's going down here. So they would bring Jesus to me first in my office, but we have to, we have to let the people know that it's done politically correct, so then we're going to bring him to Jesse, Caiaphas. Okay, that's what's going on here. Really, really, really simple. So then they put Jesus and they drop him into the dungeon pit and he's awaiting the third religious trial before the Sanhedrin. Now, we're going to come back to this in just a moment. But the other trial, which was more important, which was a lot of application, is that we saw the unofficial trial of Peter. Of Peter. You, oh, wait, wait, wait. Peter wasn't on trial. No, 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 he was. Peter was on trial because the people who were watching became the judge and the jury. The people who were watching. Now, before we're reminded of what Peter did, everybody knows what Peter did, I want to encourage you and me with some things. You go, what's that? Peter denied Jesus and failed him, if you will, in the last hours of his life, and yet Jesus forgave Peter and restored him. You go, wow, you're right. Why? Listen, here's what I want you to grasp. Peter repented from his sin. That's key. Peter repented. Three times Peter's like, no, I didn't know him. The Bible says he even cursed. And it was three times that the Lord restored Peter. And here's our encouragement. He does the same for us. He does the same for us. When we mess up, when we sin, we go and confess, and here's key, we must repent. We have to repent. That's key. Because if not, guys, then we're just going to be sorry all of the time. But Peter repented. And what did Jesus do? Think about this. He forgave and restored. Now, a beautiful picture, if you recall, there's Peter, and he's warming himself with a coal of fire right there. And then, I don't know him. And he's just tripping. But I like that Jesus restored him. And where did he restore him? With a coal of fire. But it's so much beautifully restored. Why? Because the fish were on there. He's having breakfast. He's having breakfast. The second thing I want to encourage you about is this. The word of God is true and honest. Yet got to hold on to that. The word of God is true and honest. Why? Because you see, if I had any influence on those writing the story, I might have asked him to leave this story out. <sighs> You see, you can still have the trials of Jesus without mentioning me denying the Lord. You understand that? Hey, Matthew, come here. <laughs> hey, hey, listen, you don't have to bring up that whole stuff of me denying the Lord, right? It's not pertinent. No, 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 no. No, no, no. He does. And you go, why? Because the Bible wants to show that Peter is just like us. There's not a super Christian. There's not a super spiritual dude, oh, you know, it's like, oh, he's, 
he's just like me. He's human. And sometimes he made some bad choices, but this encourages me to keep moving forward. You understand that? The Bible is real so you can go, wow. You see, Peter was just like you and Peter was just like me. And I hope that I've grown in the Lord so I don't make the same bad choices that I did many years ago, but that I, okay, Lord, I occasionally mess up, but I, I know that I can keep moving forward. Amen. If you're here today and you go, man, my, my past is haunting me. The choices I've made keep haunting me. Guys, put that aside. Keep moving forward. Keep moving forward. Nobody expects you to be a super Christian. Nobody expects you to be, but they do expect you to be a growing Christian. Come on, somebody. A growing Christian. So what were Peter's downward steps? They're real easy. Let me give them to you very quickly. If you're taking note, remember he was overconfident in himself? He was overcoming. Lord, I'll die for you. I don't know about these fellas, but these fellas are not like me. I'll die for you. That's my interpretation. I don't know how he said it. I'll die. And he didn't, did he? When the rubber met the road, oh, I don't know him. Get away from me, you little girl. You know, I mean, I don't know what Peter said, but he was overconfident. I don't want to be overconfident in myself because that's pride. I want to find my strength in the Lord. The second thing Peter had was that he was a lack of prayer and devotion in good times and bad times. Why? Do you remember Jesus came and said, hey, could you pray? And what did Peter, hey, everything's cool, good night. Pete, could you just pray? At a crucial time in our lives, we have to have that instilled in us that we need to pray. But we also need to pray when there's good times in our lives. We have to pray, Lord, Lord, it's good. Okay, Lord, it's good. And we're praying. Peter, come on, Pete. That was a downward fall. Then the third. Remember, Peter began following at a distance. You see, and that can happen to us in our spiritual walks. We begin to follow at a distance. You see, Jesus is not as important anymore. Things in the world begin to start to sprout up and things in the world start to... Uh, and, 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 now, and now the fire that once burned in your heart doesn't burn anymore. And you... You're following him at a distance. Oh, oh. if someone asked you, you'd tell them that, yo, I still love the Lord. I'm still a believer. I'm still a Christian. But that fire that you once had, it's not there anymore. And you've got to take a step back and you've got to evaluate your life and go, okay, what, what have I done? Can I tell you what will happen? A lot of times, it's what we allow in our ear gate and our eye gate. What are we watching? What are we seeing? And, and, and that's what happens. All of a sudden you go, wow. And you begin to follow Jesus at a distance. Number four, when we're led to temptation, if you will, we need to flee immediately. We need to flee immediately. Oh, 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 I'm being tempted to be pulled back here. I got to go. I got to go. In a lot of ways, too, when you think about this, you think about the fact that let's just, use, let's just use the internet, pornography, something in the line. Guys, when you're being tempted by that, and that's what the world wants to do, everything you'll look at is going to be sex-oriented. We've got to flee that. And you almost have to go, I need to get rid of this. I need to turn the internet off. I need to, whatever it might be, this is what we need to do. 
Flee. Why? I'll tell you why. Soph is a very strong guy. He's very strong. But it's, if I were to say, Soph, I'm going to try to pull you up here, and Soph says, I'm going to pull you down, I guarantee you he's going to pull me down more than I'm going to pull him up. And that's how it is with temptation. Come on, Soph, let's go. And I'm, I'm going to say, I'm going to pull you up with me, brother. Soph's just going to go like this, boom. It's going to be easy. The leverage, the weight, the strength, all of that. And that's what temptation does. It pulls you faster than you can even imagine. And we have to flee that. Flee that. Let me give you, let me give you, let me give you the fifth one. And you're all grown-ups in here, but here's, here's something for the kids to, to grasp. Where did we find Peter? He was warming himself at the enemy's campfire. You go, what does that mean? Hanging out with the wrong people. That will always lead you to a downward step. Hanging out with the wrong people. Well, you can't tell me who my friends are. Show me your friends, and I'll show you who you are. I'll show you who you are. Whatever you do. And this is exactly what it is. Well, you go, well, Pete, Pete, listen. You should have been with the disciples encouraging them. Oh, I know you wanted to see what was happening with Jesus. But once it got too hot, you should have got out of there. Peter should have been trusting the words of Jesus for three years, not in the moments of what he saw. I said, oh, Lord told me he's gonna he told me he's gonna resurrect. How many times did he tell him I was gonna resurrect? How many times I'm out, I'm out. Listen, no. I'm out. Why was Pete scared? We, Pete scared you understand that if they convicted Jesus, all of the disciples would have got it. That's how they did. We go after the leader, not only the leader, all y'all. That's what he's saying. And so Peter's sitting there going, I don't know him, I don't know him. But he shouldn't have been hanging out there. You go, that's great application for us. Be careful with who you hang out with. Your friends, your spouse, your, should, we, should be, we should be encouraging others and others should be encouraging us. If your friend wants to pull you in sin, that's the wrong, that's the wrong friend. That's the wrong friend. So now we pick up the three religious trials, the catapult, the civil trials, and all the way until the last one with Pilate. Now understand, the Gospels give us so much more detail, and Matthew moves quickly. So if you're taking note, I'm calling this message Law and Order. We're going to see the last trial of Jesus. How do you, why do you say that? Because the law part, you saw arrested in the garden, and now we're in the order part. This is the trial. Now here's what I want you to keep in mind. If these were illegal and immoral trials, I've given you reasons of several weeks back. The religious men of the day right here are the most amazing hypocrites you'll see. The most amazing. And you know what a hypocrite is, right? A hypocritos is one who puts on a mask. That's a hypocritos. It's one who's an actor. I'm looking like this on the inside, but on my mask I'm smiling. How are you doing? How are you? And that's what they're doing here. That's where we pick it up in verse 1 of chapter 27. Verse 1 and 2 says, When morning came, all the chief priests, the elders of the people, plotted against Jesus to put him to death. And when they bound him, they led him away and delivered him to Pontius Pilate, the governor. Now, 
Think about what he says. When morning came, where did he spend the night? He spent the night in a dungeon, guys. And I've been to Israel, and the hole is only about this big. You go, what does that tell you? Well, right now, if you go to Israel, oh, by the way, I think we're going to go to Israel in 2024. So if you're interested in that, you need to save your money. I'll let you know more details to come. But the dungeon is only about so big, so you know they weren't like, oh, careful, Jesus, we're, we'll just put you in. They tied him, and they bound him, and they threw him down in this dungeon. In morning, they're going to just pull him out, and you know he's going to hit his head. You know he's not just going to come straight out. I mean, they didn't care. To them, he was a hardened criminal. But I love the significance that Jesus is always trying to communicate the gospel to us. You go, what do you mean? I mean, think about this, guys. It represented his death going into the dungeon. He sat there for a few hours until morning came, and then he resurrected, and he was alive again. And he was always trying to communicate the gospel. The only problem was, he's headed towards the Sanhedrin. So what do they do? He has the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin finds him guilty, and now they send him to Pilate. Now, he goes to Pilate, goes to Herod, back to Pilate. Next week, we're going to see them actually crucify him. But now, this is the text of Pilate. This is Pontius Pilate. But what I need to do is because Pontius Pilate is such, I mean, just such a figure here, I need to give you some background on him so you understand what he's going through. So first and foremost, they bring him to Pilate. Who is Pilate? His name was Pontius Pilate. If you go to Israel, you'll actually get to see over, it's called Caesarea by the Sea. There's two Caesareas. There's one called Caesarea Philippi. That's more up north. Caesarea by the Sea is right there, beautiful. And there is an inscription that Pontius Pilate was there. He actually had a palace over there where he hung out most of the time. That's where he was. And... There's a lot of times you go to Israel and they'll say, well, we thought it happened here. It could have, but more than likely, there's a couple of places where you go, no, Pilate was here. There was a man named Pontius Pilate and there was a dungeon. That's the dungeon. They say, this is the dungeon they put Jesus in. And when you go down there, you could just see the floor. It was dark. It was probably damp. And could you imagine? Can you imagine? So Pontius Pilate was a real man. His name was Pontius Pilate. Latin in full, his name was Marcus Pontius Pilatus. He died after 36 AD. If you look at Israel, they call it CE, so they don't call it AD. They call it CE. It means common era. Well, I always say after. Anno Domini, the year of our Lord. A lot of people say after the death, but it's CE. He was a prefect. He was a governor in Judea. He reigned for about 10 years, from 26 to 36 BC. He had a really, really good friend, okay, named Sejanus over in Israel. And Sejanus had, he was really tight with Caesar. And so Sejanus goes, hey, I know somebody, well, I know a guy. He'll do real well in, you know, I know that the Jews are always, they're, they're just upset. They're really upset. Why don't we take Pilate? Now, Pilate, understand, was a man's man. You understand that. He was a hardened soldier. So for him to put somebody to death wasn't a problem. He would do it. 
He was hardened that way. And Sejanus goes, I know a guy. He can take care of that. On the first day, he comes into the Temple Mount and starts putting all the Roman stuff out, uh, flags and stuff, this, and the Romans go nuts. I mean, the Jews go nuts. This is, no, that's blasphemy. That's idolatry. So they follow Pontius Pilate all the way to Caesarea by the sea, and they say, you better take that down or we're going to revolt. And Pilate goes, go ahead. I don't care. I'll kill you all, 7,000 of them. And so they all lay down with their necks like, go for it. Well, Pilate's like, oh, I, I can't get fired on my first day. <laughs> What'd you do? I got fired. What happened? I killed 7,000 Jews. <laughs> Not a good thing. So he goes, okay, okay, you guys win. I'll take it down. And he took it down. Okay, but he was, he was hardened. He was hardened and he came there. There was always an uprising or revolt in Israel, specifically Jerusalem. So the one thing that Pilate wanted to do was what? Keep the peace no matter what. I just want to keep the peace. It got to the point where Caesar came and said, listen, you've got a very cush job. You have all the Roman meal bread you can eat. You have all the great Caesar salad. I don't want to see you make another mistake or you're done. Come in the Passover of Jesus. You can imagine what Pilate's feeling is like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. Okay, settle down, settle down. Pilate also had a wife, a wife named Claudia. Claudia Claudia was a believer in scripture, not sure if she believed in God, but she believed the scriptures. And she actually comes to warn Pilate about a dream that she had. And so Pilate, ruling from 36, 26 to 36, he encounters Jesus. He's part of the process of crucifying the Lord. And I want you to keep this in mind because later on, some scholars suggest that he actually committed suicide. I find it interesting. He actually committed suicide almost 40 years later on Masada. The Jews committed suicide up on Masada um, when the Romans actually got up there. And that's a whole nother teaching but it just it just kind of goes wow that's that's interesting you go well, did he commit suicide some say yes it's debatable i'll leave that up to you i'll leave that up to you okay so now we're going to come back to Pilate in just a minute but now we change channels because everybody get your clicker we're going over to judas this is verse two we only have verse one and two let's read it again real quick when morning came all the chief priests and elders and the people plotted what did they do they plotted against jesus to put him to death and they bound him and they led him away and they delivered him to pontius pilate the governor now we change channels in verse three then judas his betrayer seeing that he had been condemned was remorseful and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? You see to it. Now, this verse is going to blow your mind. Why? Oh, it's so packed, man. We have the joy right now of unpacking it. The first thing I want you to see, and if you're not afraid to write in your neighbor's Bible, do this for me. Notice the word remorseful. Then Judas, his betrayer, seeing that he had been condemned, was remorseful. Everybody say remorseful. Remorseful. Here's what it means. Not a sorrow for sin that leads to change of mind 
an action, but a regret of being caught. A remorse that leads to despair. This is what Jesus goes, What's the matter? I'm so bummed. I got caught. I'm just, Oh, I thought I was going to get away with that. See, I was already, I don't know if there was a Mrs. Judas. The Bible doesn't say, but Mrs. Judas was already counting, you know, to, to, to remodel her new home. 30 pieces of silver, let's go. It doesn't say that, but he's bummed. And he's, well, there's, he's remorseful. He's remorseful. Judas was bummed out about what he did, but it didn't lead him to repent. Two different words here, guys. If you'll remember, Peter repented. When he, when he went out, he went out and he whipped betterly. Oh, he didn't stay there and go, ah, you know, and deny him. He heard the rooster and then he repented. What does repentance mean? It means when you literally change direction. I'm going one way. Oh, and now I'm going to change because that's not what the way the Lord wants me to go. Nobody wants me to go. You see, the Bible talks specifically about repentance and just being sorry. There are times in our lives when we're sorry, but it doesn't change. You know what I mean? 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, Paul writes, For godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation. Not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. You see, when we have godly sorrow, it has... Oh, I can't go that way no more. I can't do this anymore. I need to repent. I need to change direction. But he says, sorrow, when you're simply sorry, it produces death. It produces death. And that's exactly what Judas did. You go, Ben, so you don't think Judas repented? It says he was remorseful. But it never says that he repented. Repentance is key, guys. I wonder how many people are going to stand before Almighty Holy God going, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, but never had a lifestyle change. I wonder how many people are sorry in hell. When I was, when I was a teenager... I was involved in some things that was sin. And I would ask the Lord to forgive me, but I never repented. I kept doing it again. Oh, Lord, I know this is wrong. Please forgive me. I'm so sorry. And I look back at that time and I wonder if the Lord came back. I, I, had, I, was, I was sorry, and sometimes I was probably sincerely sorry, but I never repented. Our love for Jesus has to be so much, church, that we turn from sin. Our love for Jesus has to be overwhelming that we go, no, I don't want to do this. I don't want to go there. I don't want to drink this. I don't want to take this drugs. I don't want to go sleep with this person or whatever it might be. Oh, I don't want to gamble. I mean, guys, there's a slew of them. Our love for Jesus has to be so much that we go, Lord, I'm just not, I'm not sorry, Lord. I, it's godly sorrow. I need to repent. I need to repent. Oh, but it gets better, right? Oh, but wait, there's more. If you order in the next five minutes, I'm going to throw in an extra verse. <laughs> What's that? Look at this. 
Is there anyone in the audience today that has a King James Version Bible? Not a new king, but a King James. Anyone? You got a King James. I love it. Okay, now, why? In the original text, in the original Greek text, and the King James, it says this. Judas says, and I'll put it up there. I have sinned by betraying, what's that word? Thee. Do you see it? I betray the innocent blood. New King James doesn't. The writers probably thought, no, I want it to flow ease. I just want it to... Okay, why is this important? This is key, guys. And I want you to put this in your Bible. Right next to that verse, put the. The innocent blood Judas knew. The innocent blood means Jesus was the Messiah. He knew. It wasn't just innocent. I betrayed just a man who was just... He said it was the innocent blood. And in the original Greek, it actually means Judas knew Jesus was the Meshach, the Messiah. He knew it. He knew it. And it was more than just betraying innocent blood. It was betraying the innocent blood of the Lamb of God. Jesus, now here's what he's saying. Judas betrayed the one who would redeem and reconcile mankind back with his innocent blood. You see, it's just not innocent blood who redeems us. It has to be the innocent blood of the Messiah. Why? That's where the virgin birth comes in. You see, Jesus' blood is not tainted by Adam. Jesus' blood runs through through the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, what about the virgin birth? I don't believe that a, a little girl got... No, 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 it's so key. Because what happened is once Adam sinned, all of us have tainted blood. We all have tainted blood. Right here, the key, Judas comes and goes, I have betrayed the innocent blood. That's heavy, guys. That's heavy. You see, the innocent blood was from God that was to save mankind through representation through the Passover lamb. That's heavy. He's saying, this is the one, think about it, I'm recognizing, I'm acknowledging that it's his innocent blood and only by his innocent blood can we be saved. Now you might say, why in the world would he recognize that and why didn't Judas repent? If Judas knew, everybody say knew. He knew, he goes, this is the, this is, this is the lamb, this is it. Why didn't he repent? Judas! Here's why. Listen, the Lord gave Judas opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to repent. Even the night he came to betray him, he goes, friend. He gave him an opportunity. Friend, why have you come? And I think at this point, the Lord was saying, you have one more chance, buddy. It's okay. I love you. Please. He was giving Judas a chance to repent. And Judas rejected it. 
And I think because he rejected it, his heart went across the line that it became so hard with all the opportunities and directly in the Lord's face to, to that final follow-through that Judas couldn't repent. Judas, why didn't, why didn't you repent? It makes me wonder, church, listen to me very carefully. It makes me wonder if you ever get to the place where your heart is so hard, you know the Lord, you know about the Lord, you know, you know what's right, but you can't repent. The heart has crossed the line. I wonder. Here's the thing about the gospel, church. When you hear the gospel over and over and over, you go, nope, 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 nope. Eventually your heart gets so hard that you can't hear the gospel anymore. That's why it's so important that when we present the gospel, we present it under the power of the Holy Spirit because you might come to the place where you go, Nah, I'm fine. But you, Judas knew. Judas knew. My prayer is that no one in here is the place where he goes, man, I, I don't, I don't want to repent. I, I, I can hear the gospel. I need the Lord. I need the Lord. Well, what did the, what did the chief priests do? They go, Judas, listen. What did they say? What is that to us? They're, they're like, hey, you did it. I gave you the money. It's on you. It's on you, bro. So what does Judas do? Look at verse 5. And he threw down the pieces of silver in the temple, departed, went and hanged himself. That was so heavy, betraying the innocent blood, the Lamb of God, that it was so heavy on him, he could not repent anymore. And the only thing he could see was death. Was death. Well, the chief priests, they took the pieces of, the silver pieces and said, notice what they said. It is not lawful to put them in the treasury because they are the price of blood. And they consulted together and brought them to and bought with them the potter's field to bury strangers in. Isn't this crazy? Why? Well, I'll give you some more point, but think about that for a minute. Look at verse um, 6 again. But the chief priest took silver pieces and said, It's not lawful, it's against the law for us to put them back into the treasury. Because they're the price of blood. Think that. Therefore, the field had been called the field of blood to this day. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, Then they took 30 pieces of silver. The value of him was priced, whom they, the children of Israel, priced, right? And gave them for the potter's field, as the Lord directed me. Okay, he's quoting from Jeremiah. Now, before we go back to Pilate, before we change the channel, I need to pull, pull some things out of here. Why? First and foremost, 30 pieces of silver. That was the price for a slave. That's what you paid for a slave, 30 pieces of silver. I find that interesting. But here's what you need to write down. Silver in scripture was the metal of blood. It was the metal of blood. Okay? And you go, wow, that's cool. Now, here's what I want you to think about this. When Judas came back and he threw the pieces of silver back to the chief priest, okay, threw them down, this was the same place that they had beaten Jesus. They had already, so no doubt Jesus' blood would have been everywhere. If you go to Israel today, there's a place where we walk in and this is the place, I'm telling you, this is the place they say that the trial, and they beat him and flogged him and everything. And Nathalie comes in, I mean, just tears are falling because this is the actual stones. 
You could see he's carved out on the stone where they were playing games. It looks like a tic-tac-toe kind of thing. And you could see that and you're touching the floor and you're going, oh my gosh, my Jesus was laying right. This is it. And so he comes in at the Antonio Fortress and he throws the money down. And I thought, wow. It says that Jesus, Judas threw the, down the silver and it most likely mingled with the blood of Jesus. The Bible tells us this, church, listen, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission for sins. And you go, what was the point? The chief priest would have looked at them and said, oh, there's blood all over that money. What was he saying? What was he saying? I love the fact that Jesus was even showing them that there's forgiveness. Even now, there's still forgiveness. Listen to me. You're never too far gone for the Lord to to save you the chief priests the biggest hypocrites there are and he's going look my blood is going to cover what you did I just went wow you see his blood forgives the bad choices we make our attitudes our motives our envy all of these guys were like that and the blood he just throws it down what else do we get from this text? Well, Judas goes out and he hangs himself. One gospel says that he hung himself from the tree that actually broke and he went rolling down. We should never be like Judas where our lives are so hopeless that we see no way out. And I know that happens to a lot of people. And we have to pray and we have to come alongside people but Judas, he got to that place. But I want to see, I want you to notice something that we can pull out as application. Look at the hypocrisy of the chief priests. It says in verse 27, 6, the leading priest picked up the coins. It wouldn't be right to put the money in the temple treasury since it was payment for murder. They actually, these were the religious people that were actually what? Plotting Murder. And I, you know what it made me do? And I want you to jot this down. It made me take a moment to reflect our own lives to make sure we're not living lives of hypocrisy. We have to be so careful what we say and make sure it lines up with how we live. Ooh, come on, buddy. That's, that's good. That's good. These people are going, murder him, murder him. And then when they throw the trace, like, oh, we can't touch that. That's, that's blood money. Mm -mm. It would be against the law. And if we touched it, we couldn't do the pass. You just killed somebody. You're trying to. And the Lord is showing us that we have to open our hearts and say, Lord, I just, I don't, I just don't want to be a hypocrite. I want to follow you with all of my heart. I want to be a hypocrite. I know I mess up sometimes. I know I stumble. I know I say stuff that I wish I could reel back in. But I don't want to live a life where someone goes, oh, no. We don't want to tell them so-and-so because they'll, Spread it around as gossip. Oh, no, we don't want to do this because, oh, no, I don't want that reputation. We want to be exactly who we are at home, in the workplace, at church. This is who we are. Growing more and more like Jesus. The potter's field. Jot that down in your Bible. I'm going to give you some other stuff. The potter's where they dug clay, guys, to make pottery. Guess what? The field may have been so full of holes 
that would make it easy to bury people who had no family. It could have, Judas could have, the branch could have broke and he rolled into a hole. And that's where they buried him. I find it interesting because that's not how they used to do in Israel. They used to put you in a tomb, let you decompose, and then take your bones and put them in a box. You can go to the potter's field today. It doesn't look like a potter's field. It's actually a hill. There's houses built on it because it comes right into the valley of Gehenna. Gehenna is a place of eternal fire. They used to burn all the trash and and, and basically if they didn't want to mess with burying them, they would take dead bodies and throw them in there and they would just burn. And they knew that. It's a park there today. I find it interesting. Drove by and go, that's Gehenna? Well, it's pretty now. But back then, it was the eternal fire. One last thing I want to leave you with before we move on is this. Verse 9, And it was fulfilled that was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet. Everybody goes, See, there you go. I can't find this in Jeremiah. You won't find it in Jeremiah. You'll actually find it in Zechariah chapter 9. Why? Here's really simple. Jeremiah spoke it. Zechariah wrote it down. It was still prophesied by Jeremiah, only Zach wrote it down. Same thing like right here, right? I said something, Kevin wrote it down. Still my prophecy, but Kevin wrote it down. Real simple. But you'll have people who will point to the Bible going, see, see, this wasn't, nobody, Jeremiah didn't, it's not in anywhere in Jeremiah. No, it's in Zechariah chapter 9. That's Judas. Judas is gone. Now we change the channel back to Pilate, verse 11. Then Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, saying, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said, It is as you say. And while he was being accused by the chief priests and elders, he answered nothing. Then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he answered him not one word, so that the governor marveled greatly. Why is this important, guys? You're standing on trial. You're standing in trial. This is it. And he goes, are you the king of the Jews? And all the Lord said was, yes. Why did Pilate marvel? All the people are yelling accusations. I'll tell you why Pilate. Because at this point in any trial, what would you be doing? Begging for mercy. Please, please, please. I'm sorry. I won't do it again. No, I mean, it wasn't my fault. It was her. It was, it was you know, and, and, and the, most of the people would be crying and begging for mercy. Not Jesus. He's standing there. Yeah, you, you said you're going to tear the temple down. What do you say, Lord? Or they didn't call him Lord. What do you say, Jesus? He didn't say anything. And, and, and Pilate goes, wow. I've done these trials so many times. They're begging. They're on their face begging because they know what's next. They know what's next. Not Jesus. He was quiet. He was quiet. Now, the feast of the governor was accustomed to releasing... Um, one to the multitude, one prisoner whom they'd wished. And at that time, there was a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. Now, what you need to know about Barabbas is he was a murderer. He was actually convicted. This dude murdered somebody. He was a killer. He was a thug. And there's Barabbas. Now, what you need to understand is in the, in the Greek, Bar means son of, and Abbas is father. So his name actually means son of the fathers. So you have son of the fathers. Some would say father's son. You know how they would switch that around. 
So now you have a notorious prisoner named Son of the Fathers. And you have in this time a place where they can release. Notice verse 17. Therefore, when they had gathered together, Pilate said to them, Who do you want me to release? Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew that they had handed him over. Why? Because of envy. You know what he's saying? He's trying to get out of it. Okay, listen. I'm in a mess. If, if Caesar finds out there's an uproar, I'm out of a job. But it's a custom. Okay, okay. Jesus hasn't done anything wrong. I marveled at him. I've, you know what? Herod didn't find anything wrong. Okay, who do you want me to leave? This notorious killer, loser, thug right here that wants to... Or Jesus. This is what he's saying. And he knew, he knew that they had what? Turned him over. Why? Because of envy. Envy is more than jealousy. You understand that. When you're jealous, you go, man, I just wish they didn't have that. Ah. Envy is going, I don't want them to have that. I want them out of the picture. I want them gone. Why? Jesus in the new covenant, guys, was changing the world. You understand, he began to deconstruct all the, all the religion in Israel and began to reconstruct the new covenant to where you and I are set free. And their envy going, we don't want that. We want to control the people. We want them to do what we want them to do. We want them to give us money and be rich and, 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 and we want them to be under our religious foot. And Jesus is like, that's not what I came for. I came to set you free. So guess what? Verse 19. While he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife, Claudius, came to him and said, Have nothing to do with that just man, for I've suffered many things today in a dream because of him. And I still think the Lord gives us dreams like that. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the multitudes that they should ask for Barabbas to destroy Jesus. Can you imagine? Can you imagine a world so filled with hate that they would be willing to destroy the good for their own cause? Yeah. We're living in that world. We're living in that world. But it's no surprise because it's been going on 2,000 years ago. The governor answered and said to them, Which of these two do you want me to release? And they said, Barabbas! And then Pilate's like, well, what shall I do with Jesus who is called the Christ? And they said, let him be crucified. Then the governor said, why? What evil has he done? But they cried out all the more, let him be crucified. Guys, you can see a parallel even to our world today. They're not willing to sit down and talk. They're just willing to yell their agenda. And their agenda was to kill Jesus. Hey, why, why should we kill somebody who's innocent? Crucify him. Crucify him. This was not the same crowd that came down singing Hosanna. This was not Palm Sunday crowd. Okay, This was another crowd whom the chief priests and the elders begin to incite. Crucify. Crucify. And what you need to grasp as application to take home, church, is this. You ready? Be careful of mob rules. Just because the majority are running this way doesn't mean you have to run that way too. Just because there's a line forming doesn't mean you need to get behind the line. But that's human nature. 
Oh, I don't know where to go. Where should we go? Well, let's follow these people. And, then we, and, then, and they're not even going to the same place you are, but that's how we do. We start listening to social media. We start listening to YouTube. We start listening to all these things. And now we're making up our mind based on people who are projecting their own agenda. Well, I, I, I vote with him. And you must be careful too with pastors. You don't follow pastors. You follow the word of God. You're, you know, well, who do you listen to? Well, I, I, I listen to this guy and I believe this way and this way. Without trusting the word of God, guess what? You're gonna, your bent is going to be towards that pastor. Newsflash, what if that pastor's wrong? You, Ben, what are you saying? Follow the word of God. The Bereans said, well, well, pastor, we'll check you out. Go home and check me out. I, that's what I want. Don't take my word for it. You need to be Bereans. That's how you grow. Oh, no, Pastor Ben said that was true. Amen, amen, okay, amen. Verse 24, and when Pilate saw that he could not prevail at all, but rather that the tumult, here it is, was rising. Oh, no, please, please, I can't afford another demerit. I don't know where they might send me. At this time, Sejanus, his friend, had died, so he doesn't have an in with Caesar. And he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. You see to it. And all the people answered and said, His blood be on us and on our children. And they released Barabbas to him. And when they had scourged him, he delivered them to be crucified. Forty years later, all the blood of those on Messiah. Titus Aspasian had came in 70 AD, crawled up to Masada, and they all took their own lives. A few of them hid. That's how we got the story. But for the majority, their blood was really upon them. They released Barabbas. Now, as we close our study this morning, I want us to ponder what's about to take place. Our Jesus was scourged, the Bible says. Pilate, I mean, other gospels tell us, but in an effort to try to calm down the crowd, had him flogged, scourged, with a cat of nine tails, had bone, and it had glass, and they whipped him 39 times. Just the flesh of his back, everything just ripped off of him. Most people would die from the scourging alone. The loss of blood, the swelling, everything. I mean, can you imagine? We get a, sometimes we get a paper cut and we're like, oh. Jesus was ripped for us. Isaiah 53, 5, by his stripes we're healed. We can come and we can be set free. That's what the Bible says. Some of your translations will say a cat of nine tails. And that didn't appease the crowd. They still wanted him dead. Now, next week, guys, we're going to see our Savior, our Lord, hang on a tree. Hang on a tree. But what I want to do as we move into the communion service, the one thing that I must ask before we go any farther 
is, have you been washed in the innocent blood? Have you been washed in the innocent blood? And you go, Ben, I'm not sure what you mean. In other words, have you put your faith and trust in Jesus? You see, in a moment, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do just that. I'm going to give you an opportunity to go, yes, I I want to be saved in the innocent blood. I don't just want... I don't just want to live a happy life. I want to be saved. I want to be saved. If the ushers will come forward, what we'll do is we'll pass out the elements. Here's what I'd like for you to do. Would you please hold on to them because we're going to take them as a family. Now, I know we have some visitors here. If you don't feel comfortable, that's okay. That's okay. But we do have open communion. So if you are a believer here, you go... I'll take it. This is great. If you're here today and you're, you're not a believer or you're backslidden, I want to give you an opportunity while they're passing out the elements to get right with God. You go, man, what do you mean? Well, in a moment, I'm just going to ask you to lift up your hand and say, Pastor, will you pray for me? I'm not right with God. I want to be right with God. And then once you take and pray this prayer and mean it with all of your heart, and you repent, that's what's key, then you can take communion. Normally I say with every eye closed and every head bowed, but it's pretty hard to get the elements if your head is down and your eyes are closed. So if you're here today and you go, Pastor, you were talking to me, and I want to be right with God. Um, I've, I've been backslidden from him. I've been away from him. Or you've never given your life to him. Would you do me a favor? Would you just lift up your hand right now and say, Pastor, pray for me. God bless you. God bless you. Anyone else? I see the two hands. All right. Pastor, pray for me. I will pray for you. Father, I, lift, I pray for those hands that are lifted up right now. I pray, God, that you would speak to them and that you would save them. Father, they would open up their heart and invite you inside. They would confess their sin to you and be right with you. That this would be the defining moment for them moving forward. If you raised your hand and you sincerely mean it, would you pray something like this? Now you've got to repent. You've got to change your ways. This is, this is the Lord. It can't be just sorry. I'm just sorry I went to church. I was sorry. And you just pray something like this. Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sin. I'm sorry and I repent. I'm going to turn from that lifestyle. I'm going to turn. I believe you died for me. And you were buried and you rose again. And you're coming back. Today I give you my life. But I need help. So I pray that you come into my heart. Be my Lord. Be my God. Be my Savior. Be my friend. I choose this day to follow you, Jesus, for forever I'm yours. In Jesus' name. If you prayed that prayer, you're welcome to take communion. By the authority of Scripture, the Bible says that you are saved. By faith. By faith. As we get ready to take communion... Let me just say this to you. It's very serious as well as a celebration. It's very serious. First and foremost, the Bible tells us not to take it in an unworthy manner. We've dealt with the sin, but maybe there's something in your heart that you need to ask for forgiveness for. Maybe you've walked away from God. Maybe you've done some stuff. Maybe you've sinned. And now's your time to go, Lord, I'm sorry. Maybe you've had a bad, a bad attitude all week or maybe you've just uh, 
You just haven't been polite, and now's the time to do that. Don't take it in an unworthy manner. Be careful. Be careful in our hearts that we're not developing a root of bitterness. Let's confess that now. It's also celebration. When we take communion, we're declaring the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And that's what saves us. And what you're doing is you're celebrating today, I want you to see this, the innocent blood. We all have tainted blood, but we're celebrating the innocent blood. And it is a celebration. So it's serious, but it's also, Ben, listen, this is what we're doing. So you go, Ben, what I do? Okay, so we're almost done passing that out. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to look deep within your heart and confess whatever needs to be confessed to him. Lord, I am so sorry. Then I want you to do me a favor. Look back and thank the Lord for all he's done in your life. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for my job. Thank you for my house. Thank you for my spouse. Thank you for whatever it is. Just be thankful that you're here today. And all that he's done and and brought you through. And last but not least, guys, I would ask that you would look forward to all that God is going to do. And that one day, finding your faith and trust in Jesus... You're going to take communion with him in heaven. And can I tell you, that day is very, very, very soon. Father, we thank you. Lord, we're about to take communion as a family. Lord, you said to do this and do this in remembrance of you. Father, these elements, they simply represent, Lord, the new covenant. And God, we're so thankful for that. So as we gather as a family, and I thank you for our new family that you brought here today. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would do an incredible work, Lord, bringing us together even more as a family. I pray, Lord, that we would look deep in our hearts. Lord, if there's anything in there that's not pleasing to you, we confess that to you, Lord. Cleanse us, clean us, wash us by your innocent blood. Lord, we look back and we thank you for all that you've done. I thank you for, Lord, the last 19 years as a ministry and, Lord, the last, gosh, 40 years as a, as a believer, God. But I also look forward to what you're going to do and that one day we're going to do this in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's take the bread together. This is my body, he says, that is broken for you. And together we take the cup. In Jesus' name, amen. And for the next minute or two, let's worship and just think about the message and think about the communion. We hope you enjoyed today's message. We'd love to hear from you and see you in person at the church. You can find our contact information, location, and even give a donation at calvarychapellubbock.church. We'll see you next time on the podcast. Until then, may God bless you and your family.